Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Badass Podcast, the Batman the Animated Series Show podcast where we talk about Batman Beyond. This is Badass Beyond. My name is Clay McCormick, and with me, as always, is Sean Murphy. How you doing, Sean? So, for the new Indiana Jones trailer, <laughs> are we talking, uh, is this, this is the Nazi stuff, flashback stuff, or are we talking time travel here? I think it's possibly uh, based on the terrible title. Um, I think there's a good chance then, it might be time travel. You know, I think I if it's time travel, I'm already gonna I'm just gonna check out. Like I I can't even do it anymore. You know, <laughs> if it's just a flashback, a really well done flashback, I I can get on board with that. But uh, time travel, I mean, Indi- aliens already threw me off completely. You know. Yeah, I mean, I it's not quite like the grounded in reality days where they were searching for the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> right, yeah, nice and grounded, yeah. looking for Jesus uh, artifacts. Yeah, the, the Holy Grail. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think uh, it, it could go either way, probably. Um, yeah. Well, it's a terrible title, The Dial of Destiny. Yeah. <clears throat> That's yeah. that's the, the alliteration's weird. The dial dial anything doesn't sound good unless it's like dial for danger or some other kind of movie. Yeah, but for it, Indiana Jones, it's if it was more of like an action verb of dial maybe, but this is just like yeah. a noun, and dial is not right. exactly the most exciting noun right. I could think of. What about the ringtone of Destiny? Well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel. I've been texting with you guys recently, and uh, I saw the Willow uh, sequel, and uh, it, it broke me. I mean, I've been broken slowly and slowly over the years. Mm-hmm. Honestly, with the Crystal Skull, I sort of gave up on Indiana Jones. Mm. Um, and I, I applaud Marvel for what they did up until Endgame. But everything they try to do now, every new Lucasfilm, every new Star Wars, I just go in ready to be... completely disappointed Mm -hmm. and i'm just so irritated that this is the era that we live in and i want us to move to the next decade where we stop trying to reinvent franchises and get back to like the way it was in the 70s or the 90s where uh creators sort of suits sort of lost control a little bit and you saw some really creative unique things happen whereas the 80s and the 2000s you saw more like you know safer proved family friendly i don't know less uh original content coming out yeah i'm doing a bad job of describing something that tarantino has been talking about a lot lately yeah i i i'm surprised to hear him say that he thinks the 80s is such a bad decade for movies because is i've always thought mm-hmm. that like i think it's the probably the one of the better decades for uh um yeah. imagination and and genre films because it's right. like there is so much interesting stuff coming out in the eighties. Uh, like y- you can argue quality as much as you want, but uh, I, yeah. I think there's a there's a, a a wider swath of interesting stuff happening in the eighties, um, mm-hmm. genre wise than I think some. I think I think eighties isn't great for drama. Yeah, um, and action gets pretty towards the end anyway. Gets mm-hmm. to, gets pretty uh, uh, the edges get sanded off pretty hard. Um, yeah, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think the eighties is as bad as, as a lot of people give it, uh, give it credit for yeah. or don't give it credit for But yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just going to yeah. come down to when they stop making money, you know, it's, it's about as simple as it gets. Yeah. 
this talk that uh, superhero stuff start to go away soon, and what's going to be the next thing to be the tentpole of each summer? And some people are saying it'll be sci-fi, um, and that it might have been sci-fi sooner if Star Wars hadn't <clears throat> sucked the oxygen out of the room and done a lot of subpar movies. I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, yeah. I the people have been saying superhero movies are going away for like the past 15 years and it hasn't happened yet yeah <laughs> and the sci-fi yeah. thing like it's not like there hasn't been sci-fi movies like big budget swings it's just that yeah. nobody's going to see them yeah you know it's... And an interesting point a friend of mine made was people complain that there's too many superhero movies but there's like 98 percent of movies coming out are not superhero related at all it's really not as much of a, a chunk as people seem to think. It gets a lot of the uh, bandwidth for sure, oh, yeah. advertising yeah. and you know Facebook posts and people buzzing around the water cooler. But really, most movies are still not superhero movies. So, yeah, I don't know what people are talking about. Yeah, it's just people aren't going to see the other ones. That's the that's yeah. what it comes down to. And I mean, everything the the movies that get uh, there's movies that were got released in theaters 25 years ago that wouldn't have a chance today and they just get dumped to streaming and then they just kind of end up somewhere in the middle of the pile and you never find them because they're not advertised and they're not uh you know that's why i try to go to the movies as much as i can because Mm -hmm. a lot of the movies that come out i feel like i'm not going to remember to see them frankly if unless I see yeah. them in the theater, because once they're gone, yeah, they're easy to yeah. find. But it's like, well, you know, then there's this other thing that I've been kind of wanting to watch, and then this thing, and you know, so they, I, uh, I so t- much competition now, you know, yeah. So I try to yeah. see the, the 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 only real big stuff I like. I like the seeing seeing the Marvel stuff in the theaters, but like mm-hmm. I, most of the other blockbusters, I couldn't care less about. So yeah. I, I try to see. Uh, uh, more middle of the road type stuff that that might need it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. And we can talk about this more at the end of the podcast. <laughs> sure. Then to Batman. You know, you're trying to find a segue right now, so I'll offer you one. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, big budgets and franchises, hey, hey, uh, we are talking about two episodes of Batman Beyond, episodes seven and eight of season number two, Once Burned and Hooked Up. So uh, we'll take a quick break, and we'll come back with Once Burned. All right, Once Burned, written by Stan Berkowitz, directed by Butch Lukic. In this one, the Royal Flush Gang's 10 returns on a mission to rescue her family, who have been captured by the Jokers. When Melanie approaches Terry for help, he is forced to decide whether or not to put his relationship with Dana at risk and if Batman Mm -hmm. can really trust 10. You know, I was looking this episode up on IMDb, uh, and this has a lot of voices in it, like people, recognizable names. It's got um, Olivia Diabo is playing Melanie again, Uh, Mm -hmm. Daphne Zuniga from... uh, Spaceballs does a voice. I think, oh, I shit. think the, 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 the trigger happy crime girl who just keeps <laughs> shooting everything. Yeah. 
Oh my God, that's my favorite scene in Spaceballs. Yeah, when she has her her hair get shot. <laughs> oh yes, uh, George Lazenby is uh, the king in the, in the uh, Royal Flush Gang. Sarah Douglas, who played Ursa in Superman Two, plays the queen or uh, Melanie's mother. And mm. uh, there was a couple other people who I don't recognize their names, but they their faces look familiar. Um, mm-hmm. I'm surprised to see so many names in an episode that kind of like it again goes back to the thing that I keep wondering is how do you get these people to do these shows that have like three lines in them? Is it is it a package or but we don't have to relitigate that. I just found it interesting. Yeah. Uh, Who knows, man? I'd love to. Yeah. I mean, when you were recording, you end up saying a lot of things that don't get used. So they must save them in a file somewhere. Um, but how do you access that? Like, all right, we need a bad guy. We need a, a known villain saying this kind of line. Hmm. Who do we have saved? Who do we have? Ooh, there's a, a few lines from the guy from uh, Ron Perlman or whatever that we never <laughs> use. Let's just throw it in here. Like, was Ron aware that he was playing this character? Or do you just have like a grab bag of things that Ron and other actors said you can kind of quickly plug in? Right. I have no idea. Yeah. 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 No idea. But uh, yeah, this one this one's uh, interesting. I think this is a uh, pretty good episode. Um, oh really? Okay. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I thought it had a lot of potential. Uh, I don't know how much of it they really kind of um, uh, yeah. follow up on, but I, I like Ten as a recurring character. She has kind of like a uh, ba- uh, Catwoman kind of feel to her as far as her relationship yeah. with Terry, uh, yeah. and makes him cheat on his girlfriend. And apparently not care about it, <laughs> but yeah, yeah um, caught that. Does uh, uh, does that mean that you did not like this one? I thought it was pretty middling, honestly. Yeah, I kept thinking about this would be a great opportunity to do a flashback episode with Catwoman. Uh, this is the second time we've seen this character, mm-hmm. and the the conflict that Terry's feeling something Batman understands. So I would have written this as a. Uh, Let's go back and figure out what finally happened with Catwoman and Batman and then use that as like a flashback story. And then Bruce uses that information to help Terry get over this girl or deal with this girl or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that would have made this like a standout episode. Um, they, This is the second time they've chosen not to do it when it's like, I don't know. I just think that would be a home run. Yeah, I'm not sure about that because um, I, I kind of prefer letting the... Uh, store the story with her and terry kind of move forward on its own um mm-hmm. and i don't i don't really think that they've gotten to the uh what's the word uh the apex of of their relationship where it would be worth mm-hmm. doing that kind of flashback i think i think you could do that later but i don't know if this would be the time to do it because i i don't think there's a ton on yeah. the line here um that's fair and the flashback yeah. with catwoman would be kind of a big a big card to play no pun intended. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that Bruce should have a heart to heart with Terry and say, listen, you know, going out there and being Batman, you're going to meet people. You're going to meet girls. Some of them are going to be have weird fetishes and kinks and be flirty and are criminals. <laughs> I would you know, love, like, I would love to hear way. Kevin Conroy deliver all of those lines that you just said. <laughs> you know, make it more Batman. <laughs> but you, Terry has to be, this is part of the job and you need to find a way to deal with this and either switch it off and just arrest them or you know, ride the line or hope that you can um, rehabilitate some of them. Like I tried the Catwoman. Who else is going to teach Terry this lesson other than Bruce? And I just feel like 
you're right. Maybe now is not the time to play that card, but they never play this card. And it would mm. have been such a great card to play. And ironic coming from me, who never addressed <laughs> Catwoman in my own book. I know. Yeah, she's noticeably absent from the show uh, as far as everyone. Well, I mean, it's the, the thing that's interesting about the show is how many big names are noticeably absent from it. Um, yeah. Obviously, when we get to Return of the Joker, they kind of deal with that stuff a little bit more. But, I mean, does Dick ever show up in any form in this show? I don't think he does, does he? Um, Yeah, in Batman Return of the Joker? No, that's Tim. That's Tim, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, I don't know then. Maybe not. Yeah. So it's it's surprising to have so many callbacks but not deal with um you know i i I don't know because there's a lot of other villains who they don't touch on um obviously the joker is pretty omnipresent in 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 this but uh of all of the other ones that i think probably deserve to be touched on i uh, catwoman is probably number one because she is Mm -hmm. kind of the closest to bruce uh, yeah. personally and it is it is mm-hmm. strange that she's not um featured at all there must have been a decision they made to clear part of the bible they must have made with this show is we really don't want to spend a lot of time reminiscing about the old show we don't want to keep yeah. digging into the past of clayface and two-face and we need terry to have his own world his own enemies and move forward we don't want to keep distracting from that by talking about bruce i do get that but I think there's a good point for including some of the classic stuff as well to, you know, unite new viewers with old viewers. Mm. And they might say, well, there are no old viewers. Sorry, there are no new viewers. These are the same viewers. But I feel like there is a generational shift of people who were fans of this show, and fans of the original series. And I think it would have been, we would have been bonded more if there was some more overlap, you know? Yeah. You know, I'm not sure. Now that I'm thinking about it, because I I feel like they kind of played it pretty well, because mm-hmm. you you kind of only get like that stuff has diminishing returns pretty quickly, I think, and mm-hmm. uh, I think they they must have made a conscious decision just to save that stuff for Return of the Joker, and there is something that's kind of fun about this where the most that you get really is sort of like uh, one-liners and sort of ambiguous asides from Bruce or from Barbara that are kind of referencing the past but not really delving into it, which yeah. which gives you a little bit of a foot, keeps one foot in the past, but, but also makes it kind of, it leaves you kind of wanting more to know what happened. And so right. when you do eventually pay that off with the Joker movie, um, it, it's that much more impactful. Like if they had been doing, <clears throat> let's touch in and see on four or five different villains across this show, and then they did Return of the Joker, I don't know if Return of the Joker would have would have hit as hard. Right. That's but, fair. But again, that being said, Catwoman, probably the only other villain that would be interested to see what happened to her. So, Yeah. I mean, they get into Superman and the Justice League. They do plenty of callbacks, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they did strike a balance. I guess the reason I'm wishing for that is because 
those older episodes were just better written. <laughs> yeah. And I just keep seeing ways to quickly improve every single one of these episodes, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do think that the, the still, again, this show has a problem with um, the stories just being too quick. And uh, yeah. the the second one, even more so than this one. But, um, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think this one breaks down a bit when you get to the end uh, and it turns out that the Royal Flush gang was pretending mm-hmm. to be kidnapped. Mm-hmm. I that oh, I yeah. I wasn't really tracking that as far as why did Ten think that she was going to the other Joker's hideout and then she ends up at the real one where her parents are. I don't know. It was just it got a little convoluted yeah. at the end trying to explain the the uh, fake kidnapping plot. Um, mm-hmm. But I do. I actually really like Ten as a character because I think she is. Uh, I like the ambiguity of her as far as you never know what decisions she's going to make. She does kind of. She fills that Catwoman role in a way that's a little bit more innocent than mm-hmm. Catwoman. Um, yeah. Which is which is nice because it is kind of a balance. On it, it is on the same level as as Terry. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with all that. Um. I do like her character. I just didn't like how she was used here. Yeah. You know, the the end sort of dis... Uh, it sort of took the uh, meaning out of all the stuff that led up to the end when she was being tricked by her whole family the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't... At that point, I didn't really care because I just tapped out. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, again, I like her character. I just don't love the way she was used here. Yeah. Yeah, there was some, some interesting stuff. Like... <laughs> This is another one where Terry makes some questionable decisions that are probably going to get a lot of people really hurt when he uh, he leads the the angry criminals who got robbed yeah. straight to the Royal Flush Gang, and they just start opening there, fire. Yeah, at, at him as well. Yeah, and then they end up yeah. pin, they end up pinned in an alleyway between the angry gangsters and the cops. Like someone someone's going to die in this situation. You're not not everyone's coming back. Yeah, from this. yeah, that's fair. And uh, I thought the. I real I thought that the the uh, uh, gambling gangsters were all pretty funny. Um, the the woman yeah. played by Daphne Zuniga, who just was shooting at absolutely everything, I thought was hilarious. And uh, there was a there was a great shot of her with the pistol shooting three hundred and sixty degrees, yeah, like yeah. hitting the window, bam, bam, bam. And the way it was animated, the way they tracked it, I'm like, that's pretty fucking cool, actually. Yeah, <laughs> For, I had a thought too at, at the beginning in the first action sequence when Ten and Batman are hiding behind like the big HVAC thing that they all just keep shooting and destroying. And I was I just thought to myself, you know, they're going to really feel bad about that in the summer when it gets hot because they just killed their entire AC system with bullets trying <laughs> to shoot Batman. I kind of wanted to know more about this derby game that's mm-hmm. been going on since long before Batman but Bruce even started. Yeah. That's a really interesting idea. I, I kind of want that fleshed out more. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is a cool idea. Um, and that's, I mean, the other thing is you don't really get any, uh, sense of who these people are. Like in, I think in the original yeah. series that would have been like a card game with, uh, two face and the Joker and poison Ivy, you know, it would be a bunch of people who you recognize. Um, yeah. and this, this is I mean, just they done a callback to almost got him some ways you know again that keep wanting to put tis into this series yeah i know it's not what they're going for but 
<laughs> Again, I would have liked to have seen that. Yeah, no, the, a, a lot of this seems like it's you would be happier if it was just a different episode. <laughs> In a different show. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I keep describing changes that it's like, that's nice, but that is not the same episode at all. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's yeah, what's, that's what's frustrating. Or that's what's frustrating with this show sometimes, though, is like it has the kernel of good ideas, but it doesn't really get fleshed out. Like the fact that Bruce had dialogue in this one was different mm-hmm. than the past couple, where he hasn't really said much. Yeah. Um and I think I think maybe that's what stood out to me too. Is it felt like there was more story going on in this one than there has been mm-hmm. recently. Um, yeah. but yeah, I think there's. I I would like to see Ten again. Uh, I think she's an interesting character. Um, Terry's really got to get his shit together though, because he's uh, cheating on his girlfriend and not telling her he's hanging out with Max all the time. And I, I yeah, I think there's, I think there's, uh, I think he just needs to end that relationship with Tana. Yeah, I think I either 10 or max is a better girlfriend than fucking boring dana mm-hmm. yeah but, uh, yeah again i'm glad max is in it i think she adds so much to this uh series that's sorely needed yeah like subplots for the most part you know like there's automatically a subplot anytime she's involved because there's sort of unfinished un- unfinished business between her and bruce in some ways well she doesn't even know about bruce does she well, she knows there is a guy out there. Right, yeah, She yeah. knows that she's not supposed to know. So, yeah, I mean, unfinished business isn't really the way to put it. But, uh, yeah, I, like that needs some resolution. I was surprised that that was an issue. Like, I, part of me was like, who, I mean, she knows Terry's Batman. Who gives a shit if she knows that Bruce is behind it? Like, that doesn't really change that much. But I mean, she's smart enough to know that Terry couldn't have gotten all of this, these trinkets and Batmobiles and gadgets by himself. This has right. to become funding has to come from somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 she seems like the type of character who could figure out it was Bruce Wayne very quickly. That's what I kind of wanted. Was uh, look, again, here's another episode I like, but we don't get it. <laughs> she sort of tricks Terry into figuring out who Bruce is, and uh, while she does it with good intentions, they still have to decide what do we do now. Yeah. But uh, no, instead, let's uh, let's do more episodes where the royal gang is pulling their own and trying to see who's actually loyal or, I don't know, frame the Jokers. Yeah. Uh, A lot of Jokers in this episode, more than I think we've ever seen before. A lot of different weird designs. uh, You've drawn a bunch of punkers together in a panel before, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I did, too, with Punk Rock Jesus and a few other books. I was thinking about your uh, poser and stuff when I was watching mm. the Jokers, and I'm like, oh, I wonder if Clay's going to draw a bunch of Jokers. And I thought, oh, Clay kind of already did. Or I guess I already did, too. And when you're doing so many punkers or Jokers, you start to resort to like, uh, what's going on behind this guy? I don't know. Mohawk, uh, another jacket, right. uh, yeah. chain, yeah. Uh, Mohawk again, uh, microphone, speaker. You just kind of <laughs> lay in these textures just because like, all right, I got to get out of here by five. Let's Let's move this forward. Yeah, I when I get into background stuff like that, I poser specifically when I had to do a lot of backgrounds with those types of characters, I got to a point where I was like, I mean, when you really kind of think about it, it's just a bunch of people kind of wearing like jeans and t-shirts. It's not even really that unique that like some some of them you can get and do some weird shit with mohawks and like leather jackets yeah. and stuff, but it's a lot of the same stuff. Mm-hmm. 
over and over again. Yeah. And I, anytime I draw a crowd scene, I do run into that problem where I'm like, how, how unique am I trying to make everybody in this crowd? Am I, am I yeah. trying to right. make it like the, uh, background extras of Blade Runner here where everybody has a special hat or glasses or right. a jacket or some shit? Or is it just like, yeah, yeah the people that within this crowd would probably be normal people with some sh- T-shirt and some jeans. Maybe uh, this guy's got a long yeah. sleeve shirt. You know, I don't know. Right. I find a nice trick is to uh, really increase the distance between the characters in the foreground and background. So mm. you got Terry and Bruce in the foreground and way, like, Half a mile away, you see the crowd. So they're just a bunch of scribbles. Mm-hmm. So you don't actually have to render them or think about who's hats, who, who's wearing a dress, right, who's got yeah. a child with them, a purse that hangs from a shoulder or whatever. You just do, and it's kind of lazy, but it also, if you draw the background and you uh, block the panel good enough, people will not think that you just cheaped out of a crowd scene. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also, who wants to really look at a crowd in a comic? I feel like it's when someone draws a crowd scene for real and like there's 50 people in medium shots, it is impressive. Like, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. Yeah. But I also don't really want to see that. I want to see a close up of Batman and you can just throw the crowd in the background somewhere. And as long as it doesn't look lazy and the background is cool, like the buildings and stuff, who cares if the people are a bunch of scribbles? Right. That's yeah. kind of the, the the theory that I've been following lately, mostly because I'm exhausted and I don't want to draw crowds. <laughs> you know, you also write the book, right? You can yeah, stop I know. writing the crowds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why do I write myself crowd scenes? Fuck, this writer's killing me. I- issue eight of, of, of White Knight Beyond should be uh, Terry and Powers fighting in an empty room in uh, in Powers Tower somewhere. I got that scene. Oh, yeah, good. It was rubble. All right. There you go. The oh, there you go. So, yeah, yeah rubble's easy. Yeah. Rubble. Yeah. It's like fighting in a uh, junkyard. Just, you know, some smoke, some broken rocks, a couple I beams, some, uh, yeah, you know how it is. Yeah. You put some, put, put, <laughs> put some smoke that's just like neck high so you can put some people in the backgrounds, but you just got to put heads in. Exactly. <clears throat> now, I had that problem with Beyond. Um, I have them return to the same battlefield three times um, back to the Wayne Powers building. Mm-hmm. And I tried to make it so you see it differently each time, so you don't feel like it's too repetitive. But I wish I had had the final scene take place off-site somewhere, like a secret location, just to make it different. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did have the idea of at least um, putting an abandoned submarine base <laughs> behind the building. Nice. <laughs> so the building goes way underground, and there's actually an outlet to get to the water. Uh, and you think of like a James Bond villain where he's fighting these guys in an abandoned submarine base the wayne powers building is attached to that so i thought okay well part of my assault can be part of the team goes through the back part goes through the front and you know just just to make it a little bit more interesting to play with the water feature and i'm glad i did that because then it gave me the excuse to use the 89 batmobile again and turn it back into a bat boat like i did in curse Mm -hmm. so it all worked out nice is the but i'm aware of that go ahead i was just gonna say does the final battle take place in a big mist cloud so you can have across your three books an ice book, a water book, and a vapor book? Oh, man, I didn't think about that. Yeah, there's t- still time to add some vapor. Yeah, you put enough mist in there, you don't have to draw backgrounds at all. Yeah. I was rereading the Mignola uh, Dracula stuff, and uh, it's so amazing how he can imply mist by dropping the detail. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
it's beautiful and lazy all at the same time. It's really it. hard. I, I could do it. I don't think it's lazy. Yeah. It's very difficult. Anytime right. I've tried to do that thing where it's like that the guys in the 90s did all the time where it's like, well, this leg just turns into a bunch of horizontal lines that get further and further away. I've never yeah. been able to do that and have it look good. And I don't know what the yeah. secret is, but it's very difficult. I agree it's difficult, but once you figure out the math on how to do it with your style, then it becomes easy. Then yeah. it becomes lazy, I think. That's yeah. my only argument there. Like the way that Jim <laughs> Lee would do it, which is like, oh, I'll let uh, Scott ink this and, you know, punch it up a bit and whatever. There's some mist down there. Okay, next guy. I think he just did that so much that it became best way to save time, which I don't blame him for, obviously. Um, yeah. It could be lazy, but the way Mignola does it, it's so deliberate, and he doesn't do the same twice, right. which is really impressive about that book. Yeah, yeah. you got to work harder now so you can be lazier later, is what you're saying. You know, I think about that a lot. When can I start phoning it in, and when will people start calling me on it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think I don't think it's phoning it in. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's working no, smarter. No, no. I want right? to phone you it know? in. No, I want to phone it in. So let's <laughs> say you're a big... <laughs> Take it to music. Play. Let's say you're a big band and you're just you have a studio obligated uh, two more records you have to do, uh-huh. and you're just not feeling it. You just stop caring. You've got all the money you need. Your wife left you. Strippers won't come near you. Whatever it is, you just don't want to do it, and you decide to just phone in two things. How many records can you phone in before your fans call you on your shit? Um, that's a good question. I guess it depends on the band. Right, I, it's fair. I, I think it's... I, so if well, you're a punk rocker, right away. Well, see, the thing is, though, if those albums, as long as they have one really good song on them, then right. that's it. That's all that matters, because then that one goes into the rotation, and everybody forgets what else is on the rest of the album. Like, you know how many right. ACDC albums there are just in general? There's a lot of them. And most of them after Back in Black have like one, maybe two songs. Those two mm. songs are fucking bangers and like all time ACDC songs. But the rest right. of those albums are pretty forgettable because it's yeah. just the same thing over and over. And, you know, you're kind of yeah. playing in the huh. same sandbox and sometimes it works, but most of the time it kind of doesn't. But I think about um, Frank Miller is the evolution of a style. And mm-hmm. I think my favorite Miller stuff was um Sin City. Because mm-hmm. it was uh it was some of it was it was he did the work, especially in the first two volumes, and then he consciously peeled away detail and used that hyper noir style in a way no one had really done him, which is great. Right. A lot of panels would seem lazy, but taken as a whole as an artist, I totally get what he was doing, and I think it's amazing. The more he um, got away, the, after that, I think his style became more and more disjointed, and that's when I sort of tapped out. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed like he wasn't caring, uh, but then I heard there was health problems, and he might not actually be physically capable of drawing the way he used to draw, so um, yeah, it might not be his fault. I have no mm-hmm. idea. But I was tr- trying to think, like, when did people stop saying Frank Miller's an amazing artist? Yeah. Um, I don't, yeah, probably, I don't know. I mean, again, it's all relative, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Because there's people yeah. that love that stuff. I, I'm not as big a fan of it as, as a lot of other people are or have been, could right. be. Right. Uh, the, the one that took me off was 
uh, Dark Knight Strikes Again. That was the one where I kind of looked yeah. at it and I was like, okay, I'm not mm-hmm. sure I like this. Going back and looking at it again, I feel it has yeah. like it's got uh, its moments, but um, right. it yeah. It, after that, it seemed to get really disjointed and and uh, yeah. it has gotten better in the past few years. I feel like I don't know if it was mm-hmm. his health or what. It really kind of yeah went, got there was went health. off the rails. But um, yeah, the stuff that he's yeah, been there was doing, problems. yeah, the stuff that he's been doing recently is is it's better. It's not classic but it's it's better than it has been yeah yeah i would agree um i think oh. the peak for me would be dark knight then 300 ronin was good um and then uh sin city one and two um mm-hmm. i think that's that's the high mark for me for frank miller's stuff yeah he's got such an interesting style trajectory because i mean if you look yeah. back at the stuff that he was doing on wolverine it's just so far and away from the stuff that he was doing on Ronin. You know, it's just like mm-hmm. it's he just was constantly evolving um, yeah. in a really interesting way, <clears throat> similar to someone like Sinkevich or something like that, who started out yeah. with a very traditional kind of style and then found their own rabbit hole and just has been kind of going down yeah. ever since. Yeah, yeah. Co-signed. Yeah. Uh, one thing in this episode that I noticed that I was hoping to see more of is when the police show up. I can't remember if we've seen these before, but they seem to have pretty cool looking police motorcycles. But they only oh. they only show like the 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 front of them. Like it's, I feel like they were drawn by someone who didn't want to draw the motorcycle, so it was just like half of the front of it just kind of sliding into frame, and it right. had kind of a cool almost like Akira type design to it. I think that was more of like a sit down, like a, like a reclined sitter instead of like a, a normal motorcycle uh, posture. Right. Um, but I could be just making up that in my head of things I didn't see, but yeah, I'm looking online for it right now. Were there wheels on it or did it float? Is it like a speeder? I think there were wheels on it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's nothing that's coming up. Hmm. Uh, sorry. I missed it. Oh, that's all right. Uh, what would you want to draw on this? I don't know. Um, I I hate. I tell you what, I don't want to draw is the poker stuff. The poker table. I already yeah. explained why I fucking can't draw poker scenes. I do like the design of the uh, the girl in that scene though, with the mm-hmm. white streak in her hair. I think she looks cool. So maybe the scene of her opening fire in the window, maybe like a sequence of her doing that. You know, two page spread, but you split each panel so they're nice and thin so for each bullet you see shatter the window in a different way or oh cool yeah something like that i don't know it wouldn't be as effective as animation though yeah yeah i i actually um not the uh uh the poker gear for lack of a better term but i i like that scene having all of those different kind of looking characters hanging around the same table uh, with like the the low yeah. light and stuff, and you can you could probably play with with uh, light and shadow. Pretty, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's boring. Who knows? But <laughs> I liked I liked the what different. Would you give this? Uh, I probably give it a three. I I think it's I think it's a couple clicks away from a four. Um, yeah. But I I I do think it has potential, and uh, I hope they do more with ten as a character as the show goes on because she seems yeah. pretty fun yeah oh I'll go three but the, i'm gonna low three the, the one Sorry, thing ahead. that i was gonna talk about is uh the ending 
I was surprised at how sad the ending was, I thought, when he just throws the note into the trash without reading it. Oh, yeah. They never even showed what the note said. Right, yeah. Yeah, I thought I was surprised that they did that, um, and it it made me a little bit sad because ten ten seems to legitimately be a like kind of a character who's trying to figure her shit out. And there's uh, no way Terry did not read that note. A hot blonde like that who makes out with you in your room when you're 17 years old writes you a note and you didn't get around to reading it. I don't know. Terry so, seems Terry seems to be kind of shitty when it comes to women. So uh, who well, knows? Maybe he did just throw it in the trash. Thought you were going to be say that he was a man of conviction, which I would fire back. Why did he make out with her when he had a girlfriend? Oh no, no, I don't think he's a man of conviction at all. No. <laughs> um. Yeah. So three. Did you say three as well? Yeah, but I'm going like the low three. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. All right. We will take a quick break, and we will be back with hooked up. Okay, Hooked Up, written by Robert Goodman, directed by Dan Reba. And this one, when several several Hill High students end up comatose in the hospital, Batman's subsequent investigation leads him to the Spellbinder, who is getting teenagers addicted to virtual reality fantasies and forcing them to steal for him. I don't remember them ending up in the hospital. They just kind of ended up in the street. Yeah, They had, uh, they overdosed on... um serotonin dopamine serotonin right yeah which uh, i looked this up because i'm like can you actually od on serotonin and you can there are some drugs that will spike your serotonin um i don't know for them to have spiked on serotonin they must have been injected with something as well as super excited about their vr you know yeah yeah according to the imdb trivia it says uh, uh, serotonin is often released from the brain's neurons by the action of certain psychedelic drugs, including ecstasy. Also, serotonin syndrome, frequently caused by an overdose on recreational drugs, has a range of Simpson symptoms. Range of Simpsons, a range of symptoms which can include coma. Ooh, yeah. It's funny. Uh, there's no way if this was happening in real life. There's no way those kids in floating green spheres would not all be looking at porn. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. It's it, that... I'm having dinner with my family and they love me. No, you would be googling gangbangs. Be real. <laughs> well, so that's the thing, right? Spellbinder seems to be. I don't remember. At least the... stepmom porn. Sorry. <laughs> so Spellbinder. Uh, Spellbinder. I don't remember the first episode with him. I don't either, actually. Because <laughs> he uh, uses hypnotic technology to orchestrate a string of robberies, turning his victims into unwitting accomplices. Okay. Uh, they seem to have put him more in the Scarecrow or Mad Hatter. I guess he's more of a Mad Hatter character. Yeah. And uh, the thing that's interesting about this one is that... I feel like the traditional route to go with this is that at some point Terry ends up in the machine. Mm-hmm. And that's so, what I was expecting. Yeah, you get some sort of like weird, tripped out Batman yeah. hallucination where it's him fighting with his two halves or something like that. Yeah, I thought for sure he was going to put him into the uh, thing, 
and he would be frozen, living a nightmare or whatever his greatest fantasy is. Maybe Bruce's approval or Ace lets, lets him pet him or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. Then Max would be left to her own devices to try to take down Spellbinder, which proves that she is a useful asset to the team, which will get Bruce to back off of it. Yeah. It is kind of funny in this episode because basically Max is like, Terry's like, I really need your help. You need to you need to stop doing this and come back to reality. And every chance that he gives her, she's like, no, I'm going back into the machine. And even at the end, yeah. like, I thought that they were going to give her more, do more of like a, uh, uh, a tension thing where Batman's getting fucked up and she's deciding whether or not she's going to help or something. She just, yeah. she just goes right for that machine to the point where when yeah. she came back at the end to save him, I was legitimately mm-hmm. surprised because it did not look like she was going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You could tell that there's that addictive aspect to it and she's not acting as she normally would. Yeah. She just wants another taste, like, a, you know, obviously like a, uh, a drug user. But uh, yeah, I think they could have dialed it up a little bit more here and there. I did like this episode. I am going with a four on this, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it's too bad. They came close to having something really interesting here. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a a nice Max episode because you do get to, uh, I guess maybe that's why they didn't do the thing with Terry because like we kind of know what Terry's deal is. There's not a lot to, uh, not a lot of his internal struggle that we're not already familiar with. Um, yeah. whereas we don't really know anything about Max. And so to get some of those scenes with her and her family, uh, it gives her some, some nice character yeah. stuff to do. Yeah. I was impressed with like, Oh, they went against type. She's an African American girl, but they had her come from a wealthy family where they eat dinner together and there's, you know, honor society and the parents love her. And then I'm like, Oh no, they went, they went to the racist stereotype of <laughs> her parents are never around. She lives with her sister. Okay. Yeah. They can't all be Ben Cisco, I suppose. Um, no. I thought the uh, uh, the the girl who was having the fantasy about being proposed to in the carriage by the the guy who's a manager at like McDonald's is pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> so when you first see that carriage and horse and carriage come around the bend, literally, you're like, "What is going on here?" Because this mm-hmm. is the future Gotham. Like already, I'm kind of lost. And then you see this fast food manager. And it's, then it's a question of, oh, man, why is he proposing to her? And then it's like, wait a minute. Why? This is her fantasy. Why does she want to marry him? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it immediately she's... becomes the most interesting scene in the entire episode. Yeah, I had a lot of questions about what her situation was, that her fantasy would be such a low bar compared to the first yeah. dude who's like the greatest pop star in the world or some shit. Uh, yeah. I guess I guess success and happiness is different for everybody is, is the mm-hmm. theme. Right. Well, that the first one, the kid in the uh, that's basically uh, rock, uh, Guitar Hero right there. Which, yeah, kind of. Was yeah. that was that out uh, when this was made? I don't think so. I think Guitar Hero was uh, a number okay. of years later. Right. But we all knew we wanted to fantasize about being rock stars. So. Oh yeah, everybody does. Yeah. Not that much of a leap. You know, when I looked up the IMDb on that kid at the beginning, I thought. This has to be some famous punker doing his voice. It has to be like Ian McKay or someone from, you know, Minor Threat. And it's not. It's just some voice actor that's done a bunch of little things that you've never heard of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But considering they get like Henry Rollins and a few other rockers to come in and out every now and then, I was like, why wouldn't you give that kid some, you know, some famous voice behind him just for a hot second? Yeah. 
Yeah, if you catch them while they're walking down the hall, pull them in and and do. Uh, hey Henry, come here. Yeah. <laughs> you guys won't let me leave. <laughs> um. Yeah, I so I like I like the character stuff in this one. I thought uh, Terry was being kind of a dick to Max in this one. Uh, mm-hmm. I I kind of I kind of liked it a bit because it starts out with Bruce. It starts out with Terry kind of warming to Max's involvement, and then he brings it up with Bruce, and Bruce gives him a hard no, and then yeah. he basically takes that and just that's what he goes with with yeah. her from that point on, where it's a hard no. Yeah. Um, which is, I think, is interesting for him as a character. He didn't seem to be like struggling mm-hmm. with that too much, but yeah. Uh, I yeah, finding finding what to do with Max on his end, I think, is is a pretty right. interesting story for him. You know, to make this episode of five, what we need to do is make it an entirely different episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> as always, but, yeah, with, as always, the mic critiques. I kind of wish there was a scene where. Because when she spoke to Bruce uh, through the, what was it? Oh, she spoke to Bruce because he heard her voice in the Batcave, right? Yes, I think so. He wasn't in the car, right? He was in the Batcave. She said, like, whoever this is, blah, 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 blah. Right, yep. So I think that he should be very much against Max's involvement, which is stupid because she's already involved. There's no way to uninvolve her at this point. Bruce should have figured out a solution here, but whatever. Well, the what all, Terry all, got... Bruce, all Bruce does is get people involved and then tell them they can't be involved. That's his entire <laughs> <laughs> That's his entire MO since the first Robin showed up. And he's not getting any better. But what if Terry was incapacitated and Bruce had like Max got in the Batmobile? And Bruce reluctantly allowed her to drive it, like unlocked it, basically. Mm-hmm. And he needed her help in rescuing Terry. And then by doing so, she proved her value to the team. So she can sort of be like a... Uh, um, when Barbara Gordon was in a wheelchair. Oh, Oracle? Um, yeah, she could be kind of like a walking Oracle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think, again, I think that's a different episode. Uh, Way better. <laughs> but uh i wonder if if they don't do something like that in the near future with her because that does feel like the the way to get her the obvious way to go yeah yeah, yeah to have because i mean that's what it needs is it needs bruce's uh approval yeah. um at the same time though i kind of like the fact that he's kind of working with someone else on the side um I don't know how long he can do that. I like I, I like the dichotomy of it where he's working with Bruce, but he also realizes that Max is necessary, so he's kind of keeping that from Bruce to a certain extent. Um, yeah, he's finding his own way of being Batman. Right, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I like that. Um, but yeah, this is another one where the ending is so, so abrupt. Like, they, yeah. they, they, they beat up Spellbinder. And then they like cut to Terry and Max and he's like, well, crazy shit happens around here. And like, boom, that's the end of the thing. There's a there's a news report saying that all of the people who were poisoned by the VR yeah. are going to make a full recovery. And Terry's like, that's crazy, yeah. huh? Anyway, Tuesday, right? And that's the end of the episode. Yeah, they really squeeze the last bit in. You think there could have been something they could have trimmed earlier on to not make it feel so jammed up? But uh, I often have the same problem with my scripts, so I get it. It's it's unavoidable sometimes. Or maybe you're just not good at planning. 
Yeah, I think uh, you know. I again, I think this episode, this series is just like kind of the guys who are doing it are finding the things they enjoy to do or something, and just leaning into that. <clears throat> like, I feel like there's a lot more fun in that scene where the 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 girl gets proposed to by the the fast food manager. Like, that would be the first thing I would say to cut if you needed more room. But it's a really yeah. fun scene, and it's probably more interesting than some of the other stuff they could have. Like, it's definitely more interesting than the, the fight scenes and stuff. Right. But you got to keep that stuff in, so I don't know. Yeah. I get, I get, maybe it doesn't really matter that much, but. Right, yeah. Um, it just it just makes the stories feel a little unresolved when they do that, you right? Know? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it fits with the fast nature of the show. The whole thing right, is like a right. quick song, a quick punk rock song. It just ends. It's like, oh, okay, I guess the episode's over. Like, I think the original series had a much better lead in and arc and slowing it down before the ending and all that. Just paced was paced out a lot better. I feel like this one. They insist on really leaning into the action sequences. Like every time you hear the guitar solo, like gear up, like bump, 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 bump. Mm-hmm. You know, they, it's like, all right, so we have at least three minutes of Terry fighting, and we have three of these scenes in the episode. We have to fit subplots in between these scenes. Like those fight scenes are not negotiable. They have to be in every episode because the producers insist on action. Right. But it eats into time. It eats into subplot where you might, hey, why don't we get rid of the fight scenes in this one episode and have like a really cool story with a nice ending? They're like, no, it has to have heavy metal fight scenes. Yeah. Yeah. This series is That might definitely... have been the directive. Like, I don't want to blame the writers sure, if their yeah. like, hands were tied, you know? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. It's fine. Uh, this, uh, this series definitely seems to be built to be flashier, just f- yeah. f- top to bottom, where it's like. You can use a lot more. Uh, there's a lot more to cut or to clip out to use in commercials on uh, Fox Saturday yeah. morning. You know. Yeah. Uh, we get um, Michael Rosenbaum pops in again as another random yeah. character voice. Saw that. As and the uh, pimp- pimply uh, fast food manager. Yes, that's right. Yeah. This, yeah. which that that leads me to believe that it has to be like, all right, we we've. we've paid for michael rosenbaum we've got him for two days or whatever let's just we've got all these these side characters that need voices let's just have them do some lines like i feel like that has to be it it has to be a package thing where it's like you got got a day we've got five shows each show needs like three lines right yeah they don't fly him in every time like all right episode's over done They, they have to write a bunch of scripts at once produce them at once fly in the talent record everything at once like we were saying last time about uh, Kevin Conroy, like his total Batman recording time might only be like two entire months out of his entire life when you right when yeah. you really jam it all together, you know? Yeah, yeah. He honestly, he probably did more work on the video games than he did on this yeah. this show, at least. I mean, the other show probably a lot more, well, but guaranteed. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the amount of times he has to go like, ooh, you know, like now react to a punch, now yeah. react to a kick, now do the alternate ending. There absolutely was more work. Uh, and he's, I'm sorry, in the animation than there was in the cartoon. Yeah. I, I honestly, I don't think that um, the creation of video games gets as much respect as it deserves uh, because mm-hmm. of the amount of work top to bottom yeah. that goes into that stuff really, I think, goes underrepresented. Um, yeah. Because I remember when the Ghostbusters game came out uh, 10 or so years ago, the one where they, they it 
for all oh, intents and yeah. purposes, was a Ghostbusters 3. Yeah. I saw an interview with either Ramis or Aykroyd where they were saying how much more difficult it was to write that than it, to write a movie because they oh, wow. had to write so many different versions of the story. And I'm sure they probably weren't writing all of There are probably other people doing it too. But they had to write so many other things, uh, so many things other than just the main story. All of this dialogue that was just like side dialogue that they had to to uh, to do for random characters that just have things yeah. to say. Because every character in these games now you can interact with, and they all have stuff that they can say. And so someone right. has to write that stuff. And so like the script for these video games is just huge. Wow. And that's yeah. just the writing part, not even to mention all of the other uh, creation that goes into them. It's it's shocking that they are as cheap as they are, frankly. And we, we, we were talking about this the other day on our text thread, how video games haven't really gone up in price in 40 years and are arguably cheaper than they were because of inflation. Because yeah. video games when I was a kid were f- 60 bucks, and most of the time yeah. video games now are 60 bucks. And it's... Yeah. When- when uh, Super Nintendo came out, everyone was shocked that it was like fifty-five bucks per game, which is generally what it costs now. But fifty-five bucks back then is like forty bucks now, or something. Uh, flip that, I think. It would Sorry. be it would be more now. Fifty-five back then would be like you know seventy-five yeah. now or something like that. Sorry, right? Yeah. Uh, but right. yeah, it's it's crazy. I th- the amount of the amount of time and work that goes into those things is yeah. nuts. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that way about comics too. When oh, sure, 100%. People re- yeah. review my stuff. Like, I don't want to play the smallest uh, violin here. As I realize I'm a one percenter in comics and I should be lucky to have everything I have, and I, and I am. But to, like, kill yourself on an issue, every single line of dialogue, every page turn, Blocking out each panel. How many lines in the bicep? Is the facial expression correct? Off the page, like the amount of effort, it's just all encompassing. Someone will blow through it in 15 minutes and just give it, you know, four out of five stars, which is a decent review. It's just nobody can understand how much work goes into a comic unless they are professional themselves. Um, but you could say that about anything. I'm yeah, sure. I think that goes. I mean, especially creative. Uh, things I like that's why I I you know (laughs) I don't think it stops any of us from doing this but like if you think about the time and effort that goes into making a movie where you go in you sit there for an hour and a half and you come out and you go ah that sucked it's like (laughs) I know it's it's so unfair this there's one guy people that made it yeah there's multiple people had like children during the production and Mm -hmm. couldn't see weren't there for the birth of their child because they were re-rigging the set or some shit for this for a movie that you watch you barely pay attention to you look at your phone through half of it and you go ah it was terrible you know it was it's it's uh yeah, it's it's That's very just easy. That's the price we pay for yeah. being creative. That's yeah. just the deal, you know. Yeah, it's very and, uh, easy. This to is the kind of. I mean, and if you're not being paid well for it, that anger starts to compound. Oh, totally. You know? Yeah, you feel unappreciated spiritually, and you feel unappreciated monetarily. Yeah, uh, and then it just starts to eat away at you. I think comics, especially, because so many artists and uh, writers are underpaid. If they spend 
10 years trying to get in, 10 years being underpaid and frustrated. That just is now hardwired into the, the brain the rest of their lives. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's really hard to get out of that, that angry, venomous, resentful on your shoulder, you know? And I think that's when a lot of creators sort of flame out. Mm. Is uh, They get obsessed with like, no one understands. You can go to any con, any bar con after, which is where when you go to the bar after a show. Uh, people are calling it bar con more and more, I guess, these days. But you guarantee 80% of the conversation is generally going to be, these things are so fucking hard to make. Why doesn't anyone seem to understand that? <laughs> That's generally what most of the conversations boil down to. And they're not wrong. But, you know, the other point of view would be comics are competing with a lot. Video games, movies, uh, you know, you could argue that we're kind of on borrowed time here. Uh, maybe you should just be thankful that you're getting paid at all. Mm. <laughs> you know? I mean, you chose to sign up for an industry that some people say is going the way of the dodo slowly. And I don't know if that's true or not. Um, yeah, I don't know <laughs> how, how bad we're supposed to feel that you decided to get into doing funny pages for a living. And surprise, surprise, it's not exactly the perfect industry. It's filled with money and fame like you thought it was, you know? Well, I think the same thing goes for, I think music is going that way as well, where like yeah. music isn't. Uh, this sounds bad out of context, but follow me here. Music isn't uh-huh. worth anything anymore. Right. You know, like it's it's so easily disposable because of stuff like Spotify where right. you can, like you, people, what I, what I guess what I mean is people don't pay for music anymore. Like you don't go, right. people aren't going to the store and buying CDs. They're buying vinyl because mm-hmm. people want to have that feeling of, something tangible and substantial that they can you know yeah. own but uh i mean the reason that concert prices are so crazy high is because nobody buys music anymore and so these they have to be yeah. yeah the bands have to jack their prices way up and so it it makes it that much harder for the people who are you know mm-hmm. haven't broken through yet trying yeah. to do anything because they it's difficult to sell stuff online that that being said there's plenty of people who can do it and do make a living off of it so i think just like comics or any other creative thing it's uh yeah. it's 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 not as lucrative but you need mm-hmm. to you need to figure out um how to be a little bit more savvy about it uh instead yeah. of just expecting to go down the same road that people went down 25 years ago yeah yeah you know i feel like for the last few years i've been banging my head against the wall, trying to wrap my mind around what I've been feeling in comics. And I'm frustrated. And I, When you're frustrated, it's not always easy to pinpoint exactly why you feel this way. And mm-hmm. um, I think I started to crystallize with me the other day when I saw this interview with James Cameron, uh, who is notoriously prickly, mm-hmm. definitely has an ego about him, but you can't deny that he's had some banging hits oh, and sure. he's able to move technology forward with willpower in ways that most directors would not be able to do mm. and uh i felt very much a kinship to him in some ways like oh, i'm sort of going through my james cameron um troubles in a way right now too it's like pushing against the studios i'm trying to get this done the studios don't get it trying to advance uh move the industry to a new place you're trying to suggest x y and z but you know people around you aren't seeing your vision um they're people dragging the industry behind they don't seem to know it and um your attempts at um motivation and innovation are met with sort of like 
laziness or dismissal or hand waving by powers that be. Mm. Um, and I'm describing a lot of very vague sort of ideas here, but I absolutely feel that way similarly to how James Cameron felt. Um, I'm not saying I'm a you know visionary like him. I would like to be, um, but you know when he and I both die, obviously one of us will be remembered more than the other one. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I can. I think that that's what's frustrating me is where. Um, the, and the reason I guess I got onto this point was talking about your art isn't really worth anything, and I know why that's can be seen as an outrageous um, claim. But technically, you could argue, you know, your music isn't worth anything because you're not really paying for music anymore. You're paying for uh, a subscription. <laughs> and then people who make money on music make it by touring and doing it the old-fashioned way. So mm -hmm. take your point. Like, I don't, I can see why some people would be offended by that, but I, I get what you're saying. And in a similar way, I think comics, comic art isn't really worth anything sometimes, or comics mm -hmm. aren't really worth anything, um, which is outrageous. But the best argument I have would be, well, they're worth something because they get to be made into movies and video games. They get to generate uh, these other forms of me the medium, like pajamas and, like I said, all, all kinds of other things. But uh, the comic industry itself isn't really worth a whole lot. Uh, and it's very disposable. I mean, comics were made to be rolled up and thrown away. That's that's our That was our beginning, you know? And yes, yeah. now... We try to convince people to save them. We like to uh, insist that they're going to go up in value and we create a spectator's market and, you know, we're sort of changing the game a bit. But yeah, I, I've always struggled with my own career, picking this career. Like, is this really a valid endeavor or is it sort of silly and childish? And that's always something that I'm going to be struggling with, you know? And yeah, I mean, calling it childish is, is disrespectful, but, you know, comics were made for kids. By definition, they are childish. I think they can show great, um, you know, books like Watchmen and Dark Knight and all that can be trans transformational, of course. But I think most of the people operating the comics are just trying to get, get by. They're not thinking about great storytelling, blocking, you know, uh, trying to get as close as they can to perfection in every page. I think they're just cashing checks and trying to move into different industries where they actually pay better, you know? Sorry, yeah. I, went, I covered a whole bunch of topics at once there. I apologize. No, it's fine. Um, <laughs> it's been a weird day. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I think the thing is though, like, I, I, I when I say it's not when it's not worth anything, I, I mean yeah. just like purely monetarily. Uh, I think it's, I think it's definitely worth something creatively and culturally. Um, and I think both can be true. Yeah, yeah, I think comics are the same way. Where I think comics are definitely culturally important um mm -hmm. i mean it's a, it's a i believe it is a purely american art form you know it's it's uh mm -hmm. they were invented in america so they they there is a certain kind of uh um yeah it's it's baked into the culture and even even the ones that you say are created for kids are resonate with so many people i mean the reason that these movies make such money is because these things that were created for kids strike strike a chord with people and it sticks with them like spider-man strikes a chord with kids and when they grow up they go to see the movies or i mean well now it's the movie spider-man that's striking a chord with kids more than the comics yeah but, I mean, they're like what's a comic <laughs> yeah but i i i think i i think uh you know i i think the 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 the, the place where it can become overwhelming for me 
when it comes to that stuff is just when I see how much is out there and yeah. how good a lot of it is. Because I I have the same feeling every time I walk into a comic book store where I look around and I go, wow, there's so much stuff coming mm-hmm. out every week. Yeah. How am I supposed to yeah. stay afloat in that? But yeah. then the other thing I think is, man, there's so much stuff coming out every week that's so good. Like, I would say 90% of the comics on shelves are just really good. Like, the, the talent level that is working in comics right now is, I would say, arguably the best it's ever been. Uh, oh, except except for Except for maybe, like, you know. Batman White Knight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, ex- except for, like, maybe the era um, coming out of the 50s when you had all those great guys who were, who, like, Wally Wood yeah. and all those guys. Like, it's just, they're, they're I all of these people that I see coming up and on Twitter and the younger generation of people who are coming through are just really, really good. And so go ahead. No, go ahead. I, um, I disagree. I think that the talent that's coming out now, there are some rock stars for sure, but I think overall we're less talented in comics than we ever were. Um, but I don't, but I'm not sure we're. I, I think we still might. I think we still might agree on some things here, though. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I go into onto Twitter or onto Instagram, I'm blown away by the level of art. Mm-hmm. It seems like everyone is kicking ass and doing things better than I could. Uh, ba- better backgrounds, interesting ways of lighting, things. I'm like, oh, why didn't I think of that? Instagram makes me feel defeated because there's so many good people <laughs> I follow. Yeah. But I only follow good people. Mm-hmm. When I go into a comic book shop, I feel much better because I'm like, oh, good. People all suck. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they, uh, I don't follow these people on Instagram. I, I hope they're not posting because this isn't good. Um, I feel a lot more secure about my myself when I go to see what's actually coming out on the shelves, you know? Yeah. So it's like, you know, rose colored glasses or is it, you know, dire and you should just quit. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, so I, I know you agree with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But I think the reason I think we're less talented is I think we're paying less than ever, mm-hmm. um, which you just generally get people that give less of a shit. Even if you're talented, if you're only making 60 bucks a page, eventually that's going to get to you and you're oh, going to sure. try to move on to other things. You're not yeah. giving it your best and it's not your fault. You know, it's, it's okay, but low pay equals low motivation, which is hurting the, the quality of the books. I think uh, a lot of people who are getting into the industry are not, um, who are they're mostly friends of friends. You hire a buddy who you knew at a comic book shop, and now this guy's an editor. And I think that that's that's different. Usually, when someone got onto a Marvel book, you could go back and see them working at Dark Horse for a few years and earning their way up as they climb the ladder. And in the last 15 years, we've had people from out of the blue. It's like, oh, you do movies here, come and do this. And they're not that good at it because they don't understand the medium. A lot of people are getting through, uh, getting hired basically without being properly vetted, I would argue. Um, it's easier to, to say that about writers than it's artists because to do a decent comic, you have to have at least 10 to 20 years of drawing to your belt. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, but I don't know. And what else? Oh, I, the third thing I think is... Uh, Digital tools are watering down the talent. Um, and I'm going to sound like an old man yelling at a cloud here, but 
when you can kind of control Z and undo your mistakes, you're, or just grab your lines and move them around, you don't actually have to draw well the same way a traditional artist has to draw well. Like you draw something and you tweak it into being good. Whereas if I have an actual pencil, I have to draw it good and that's it. A guy can erase and tweak, but there's something about uh, being on the line when I have to draw versus you can just kind of... I think using a Cintiq uh, allows people to shortcut some basic skills. Um, and I think it's starting to show in the talent. Uh, one example I always come to is when I draw a face in the wrong position, I can't just grab it and nudge it to be properly fit on Batman's shoulders. I have to erase the face and redraw it again. Mm-hmm. And I have to redraw it maybe six times before it's in the right spot. So I redrew six faces. That makes me, you know, mathematically probably better drawing faces than someone that just has to draw one face and move it and then move on to the other things, you know? Well, I mean, mathematically, um, it makes you worse because it took you six times to get it right. <laughs> That's fair. But I, <laughs> through muscle memory, I get better and better and better at drawing that face each time. And um, But you could argue, well, the other guy gets done faster and he's able to accomplish more work. That is that is fair. You know, like, it's not a perfect argument. But I think there's a, uh, three or four reasons why talent is actually going down now than going up. Yeah, I, I, it's tough for me with the, with the, the digital thing because I think there are definitely people who, um, there are crutch elements built into it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. I, tr- I try not to, I try not to be too critical in that way of saying that it's, it's any using the digital stuff is makes you any less of a competent artist or anything because I mean like right. You know, it's 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 the difference between painting something and using collage to a certain extent. I mean, does it make if you're a collage artist, you're a collage artist, and mm-hmm. just because you didn't paint the face doesn't make make right. it any less of a piece of art. Right. Um, so I think it's all it's that stuff is all relative. But that being said, mm-hmm. there are some things definitely where you can you can see the strings um, yeah. if you if you have a trained eye to to see them. Right. Um, when and sometimes at- that just doesn't matter to people, which is hurts me because it matters to me. Right. And like there are some, without naming any names, there was, I remember years ago I was reading a book where uh, I, I saw people raving over the artist and mm-hmm. I just, I, all, all I could see was that they were using like 3D models of all these people and like tracing them. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know that for a fact to be true, but my eye was telling me, knowing how things look when they're three D modeled versus how they're drawn, I could tell. It seemed to me what they were doing was three D modeling the pose and then just kind of tracing it and embellishing it afterwards. And exactly. It that's yeah. the kind of thing that bothers me because I don't do that myself. But mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if people like it, they like it, and if it sells books, you know, yeah. it, it's all it's art's very malleable in that way. Um, right. But there are some things where I do think there it's it's a little egregious in 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 some places. Uh, I've always yeah. said like if you trace it, I don't give a shit if you trace, but you got to put your own spin on it. Yeah. You know, Neil Neil Adams. I, uh, I I was talking to Neil Adams once. The one time I ever talked to Neil Adams. I thank God. I thank God. I never brought my portfolio to show him. I came with an actual question, and uh, he was in. He was at a convention, and uh, he had all these drawings of 
uh, like uh, actors and stuff, like portraits and whatnot. And I said, these are so great. Your, your likenesses are so good. How did you get them so good? And without missing a beat, he went, I trace. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I trace them. And then he said, the thing that stuck out to me was, the thing he said after it was, the thing people are, the, the thing that people are paying for is your mistakes because that's what your style is. Your, mistake, your style is the mistakes that you make when you're trying to photo render something. And so he's like, what is the what is the bad thing about me tracing this if I'm just going to make my mistakes on top of it anyway when I finish it? And that's what people are paying for. And I was like, you know, I can't really argue with that. You know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I would and, quibble with a few little minor things, but it's splitting hairs. I, I definitely understand what he's saying. Right. I like, I, agree. am I am I yeah. going to value a Drew Struzan painting any less because he projects and traces because it's not right. really tracing, you know, it's, 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 right. I would say it's guiding for him more than anything right. else. And so right. it's, I, it, it's all so subjective when it comes right. to that stuff, but everybody right. has their own, uh, right. what's standards and things that apply to them and, right. you know, they apply it to the things that they take in as they will. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I used to think of it this way. Um, there's. You used a word like five minutes ago that was really good. It was like the um, shortcuts. You had a different word for it though. Inking, uh, digital inking, or digital digital art gives you shortcuts and. Uh, oh, like a crutch. You... Thank you. Yeah, there's a lot of crutches there. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, all right, when I draw, I used to think I want to be as hardcore as I can. I don't want to trace anything. I don't want to reuse panels. Mm-hmm. I want to, uh, if I have to draw Paul McCartney, I don't want to trace his face. I want to look at a photo and draw it and filter it through my brain. And I want to do that as much as I possibly can within every single issue. Mm-hmm. I don't want to use models. Like I don't want to cut and paste, you know, tr- you know, anything like, like I think that is the most hardcore you can be. Um, if anyone who is more hardcore than what I'm doing, they're killing beavers and making their own brushes at that point. You know, <laughs> if you really want to like out to go as more raw than where I'm uh, approaching art, then you're going to have to you know, make your own tools at the same time. Like that is granted more awesome, but that is also insane. So that's like the furthest, that's the craziest you could get as far as being hardcore. And then mm. you get to traditional artists like you and me. And every now and then you and I may be like, oh shit, you, you copy and paste the panel. You sort of reuse a face. You don't take time rendering Paul McCartney like you should. And that's when your <laughs> the quality starts to go down. That's and you fine. should that's always take time to render Paul right. McCartney. <laughs> but when you get to drawing a car uh, or other things, like other artists will use uh, just cut and paste a model of a 3D rendering of a car or a gun. Mm-hmm. And bam, put it behind Punisher or put the gun in Punisher's hands. Now, if you are a reader and you don't care, you don't care. That's awesome. I care because I want to see that gun and that car rendered. Um, and there are so many tricks and crutches now that Cintiqs are giving artists that it's, it's letting them get out of class early. Like you should have had a class where you needed to learn how to render a car and draw mm-hmm. a wheel, but you skipped that class. You skipped the class about guns. You skipped the class about ellipses. Um, you're moving the camera around so you can't decide your composition. So you skip the class about breakdowns. If the final product looks good, then it looks good. But I know this craft well enough where I know that you're skipping out. I can tell that you're cheating. 
Mm-hmm. And if you don't care, you don't care. That's great. Like, I'm really not trying to make anyone feel bad. I work with digital artists. I hire digital artists. Um, but I know when I throw a World War II story at Klaus Janssen, he is going to hit the books and find the right tanks and render them his way. And he's, unlikely he's going to trace anything because he is that good. If I throw some of that at younger artists, they're going to sweat over, oh, shit, how do I find that tank on, like, squid.com, whatever 3D rendering program. Mm-hmm. Like they have to build their sets ahead of time. If you ask them to do a quick panel of uh, people hanging out by a water cooler, you can't just whip that out like you and I can or like Klaus Janssen. They have to actually go into a model farm, find the right water cooler, download it, move it into the right perspective, and build it. It's going to take them a lot longer whereas you and I can just crank it out. And I think that's where the shortcomings are, are involved. And I find myself writing scripts more easily for artists who I know can't handle some of the stuff that I would have thrown at Klaus Janssen. Mm. I think that's the, the role that this stuff is taking. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. But as people are being paid less, and they certainly are, of course they want to work faster because how are they going to survive? Right. Totally valid. Absolutely, I, under, I understand. If you want me to snob out about art and why I think it's slowly getting degraded, that's why. But I'm not blind to the realities of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think I would sum up my thoughts about that stuff by saying uh, Eddie Van Halen never learned how to read music. Mm-hmm. So take take that what? for what it is. Why don't you explain that, actually, <laughs> before I let you off the hook? What the fuck does that mean? It means that so I you're think using the academic process is that what you're implying? No, I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying that there's different ways to to learn how to do things uh-huh. that uh, might not be as um, academic in yeah. the same way. I guess is what I'm saying. You know, it's well, the yeah. it's it's the uh, this is a bad analogy to use, but um, yeah, going. What's that? No, the first one was a good one. This one is a bad one. It's uh the Salieri Mozart thing, right? Uh-huh, where it's yeah. where it's Salieri in the, at least in Amadeus anyway. The the version mm-hmm. of Salieri in Amadeus um struggled his whole life doing things the right way, the academic way, and then Mozart strolls in and just, you know, wipes the floor with him. Obviously that's different because there is a they are struggling at the the same thing and Mozart can read music blah 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 but my point is the Eddie Van Halen analogy is just that there is just because he can't do one thing doesn't make his thing less valid you know like there are right. there are more ways to learn how to do these things than just the hardcore way to right. do it that's all would you rather watch Eddie Van Halen play guitar or watch a guy who's good at guitar hero I don't think that's a fair comparison. <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> I think Guitar Hero allows you to dumb down the art playing guitar. It gives you a similar sound. In the end, the the thing coming out of the speaker, or you can even use a keyboard, might sound like guitar, mm-hmm. but it's not. I mean, it's evolved to that, where you don't need to actually learn how to play a guitar to make guitar music anymore. And I'm a sure. fan of synth- synthesizers. Like, don't get me wrong. I am a fan of that stuff. But playing a guitar the old-fashioned way and learning the hard way, there's something more to it than people who just step up to Guitar Healer, Guitar Hero and get good at that with enough practice. 
I think that that's just not as impressive to me. You're a guitar hero artist. You're not a real artist. A <laughs> <laughs> comic book artist and guitar hero artist and not real artist. That'll give me well, lessons. Yeah, I can't. I can't <laughs> wait to put that on the back of a book. So that'll be your your pull quote for for some for some book. Wait, no. When digital inking started, it used to be very clear. It was like plastic looking. These lines oh, yeah. were so smooth. Like yeah. it was clear. So I used to really uh, rally, speak out against it on DeviantArt. And I would call them guitar hero inkers. And I still think it's a good analogy. Um, but I've learned that uh, there's so many great programs to use online on computers now that you can't even tell anymore whether it's actually rendered or not. Like it's amazing. If I was starting yeah. out, art right now i probably be with digital inker as well i absolutely would be so i get it but i don't know man i'm still an eddie van halen fan and i think there's a reason why things get were done the traditional way even though they're harder and i get the guitar i think that was a perfect analogy i just think you you knew that that argument would defeat the point you were trying to make so you dodged it what? no no that's not true <laughs> I think I think there's that that's I think the guitar hero thing is too it's it's a different concept than what I what I was saying because I mean yeah I understand I understand what you're saying but like I think the more closer analogy is making music you know being someone who is classically trained as a musician versus someone who is makes music with a synthesizer where Mm -hmm. it's like well I know how to play the guitar I know how to play the cello or whatever I know how to play four different instruments but this person can simulate that with one keyboard and some some patches does that make the thing that they're doing any less valid just because they aren't playing the strings the same way you know what i mean right if i love carpenter brute and i I use the synthesizers to make the sound that he makes if he actually recorded all the drum stuff by himself and then recorded you know got the band to you know tried to make it as organic as possible to create that sound i think that would be more impressive think it would make for a better concert as well when i go to see him um that's a lot for one guy to do to get that sound though so of course he uses synthesizers that's what's so nice about synthesizers is you don't need a band you could just be a kid in the basement and manage to get most of the way there but it would be more impressive if he was actually doing every everything by hand like handcraftedness is more impressive to me the end product that's like fair. you said yeah, that's fair. It doesn't matter. Like, if people like the music and they can't tell if it's a real guitar or, or a fake guitar, who cares? They're still jamming out in their car and they're loving life. Awesome. But I guess the handcraftedness is what I, I don't like to get away from that so easily. And I think there's value in the handcraftedness of it. Oh, I, I don't. Yeah, of course. I think there's I think there's definitely value in it. I just don't know yeah. if I would necessarily say that there's less value in the other version is the only thing. Because, I, I, again, I think it's completely subjective. Right. You know? And it's but, it, it is what so it when is. It com- you were reading a Punisher comic, and one of them has a guy, Ross Jansen drew it, and he hand-rendered all the guns. Mm-hmm. And you hired another artist who um, just cut and pasted guns from a digital program. Um, and then he used Poser to get his characters and just trace over that. Which comic would have more value to you? The one that was hand-drawn, handcrafted, or the one that was more digital? I don't know. How good does the digital one look? Oh, it's digital, so it looks like shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I feel like Klaus Chanson's would be the one that speaks to me because I know there's an organic quality to it. I know that he's not cheating; uh, that he actually had to learn how to draw each gun and how to use ellipses and all that stuff. Right? Sure. It's on paper somewhere. Like that makes it more valuable to me. 
Um, I respect digital art too, but I can tell when they're doing things that it's like, oh, that's a filter. And I get why they use a filter and it looks great, but that's a filter. It's something that I could do. It's oppressive, but all you did was click a button. Uh, and those things start stacking up when I look at digital comics. Sure. Yeah. Even if they look good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'm more ends justifies the means when it comes to that stuff. Where I, but I, you're not. You're you're as organic about this stuff as I am, man. Oh, you're sure. As no, old I, school. Yeah, your approach I can, is me. I can be both. You know, <laughs> I can I can appreciate that stuff as much as you do, but also appreciate you know yeah. some stuff that's digital as well. I mean, it doesn't. It, they're not mutually exclusive for me anyway. So yeah, but yeah, you know, so, sometimes the stuff sometimes the stuff bothers me. Sometimes it doesn't. It, it's all a case by case thing. You know. Right. Yeah. Anyway, what do you rate this episode? I'll go four. Four? Yeah, I think... I forgot what episode we were talking about for a second. Uh, yeah, I think I would go four as well. I think it's uh, a little bit a little bit less than a five. I think there's they could have punched some stuff up, but it's, uh, it's good character work all around in this one, mm. I think. What would you want to draw? Yeah. Um, there's a car chase scene with two uh, semis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never drawn uh, big trucks, like a big car chasing between two giant 16-wheelers. Uh, and I think I'd like to draw that. Um, I, you know, I enjoy drawing cars. I like drawing, if it's interesting tech, if it's like a crane at a construction site or a bulldozer. I, I enjoy that shit just as much as I enjoy drawing muscle cars. Mm. Uh, so I think doing, especially like sci-fi 16-wheelers, I think that would be really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, or there's this in the arcade. There was all these kids lined up to play a racing game of this kid in a pod, and it had like a checkered flag behind him. And I'm like, ooh, whenever this game looks like, I know I'm gonna want to draw it. And then they never actually cut to what that game looked like. Yep, yep, yeah. <laughs> that was almost my answer. What yes. about you? Uh, yeah, I would do. I would do the arcade, and I would go. I would go to a local arcade. I would take a photo of it, and then I would just throw a filter on it, and then draw Batman on top of it. Call I'm glad I'm day. not with you, man. I would smack you in the face. With <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I think that's going to do it for today. Thank you guys for listening. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I was going to ask you this. What's a more impressive backflip when you actually could do it for real or when you make Ryu do it in Street Fighter? <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> not I, a I, knockdown I, argument right there. No, it's a I digital don't digital think... backflip. It's an inorganic, hands-off backflip. <laughs> The sure, handcraftedness okay. of that backflip is not there. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's more impressive if you don't use your hands, and it's just a no-handed backflip, so I would go with that one. So it's a, it can't be a handcrafted backflip if you really want my attention. But uh, oh, you, know, you win this round. <laughs> it's the same reason I find I find wrestling more impressive than UFC. It's just all fake punches, and they look better than the real ones. So, Right. Um, anyway. Ooh, Okay. <laughs> Well, we don't have time to argue over that, so I'm going to let that go. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, we will be back next time with Rats and Mind Games. See you guys later. <laughs> Let me die.